You are listening to Spirit Radio, The Paranormal Experience, with your hosts, Willie Hassel and Lynn Nickerson, on the Paranormal UK Radio Network. Good evening, and welcome once again to Spirit Radio, The Paranormal Experience. I am your host, Willie Hassel, your gatekeeper to the dark side, your guide to the realm of the unknown, the unseen, the unthinkable. And hey, she is the lovely, <clears throat> she is the mystical. She is the mysterious, and she is Lynn Nickerson. Good evening. How are you? Good evening, Willie. Have you noticed that spring has sprung? Uh, I'm not sure if it's sprung, but it's, <laughs> well, it has. <laughs> it's getting wound up and, and ready to go. Well, I'm telling you it's been warmer, and the oh, snow is melting. It, yep. yeah, um, we may get a little dusting this yeah, weekend, but that'll get, be it. Yeah, and then it's supposed to be up to 60 next uh, next week sometime. The town cry. I, I like, didn't I realize like that. that. I like that. Mm. So, hey, you know what? we got a great guest tonight. We certainly do. So, instead of listening to, to me talk... And the weather report. And the weather, <laughs> <laughs> weather report, why don't we go ahead? So, tonight on Spirit Radio, the Paranormal Experience, we are, we welcome to the show Stephen Wiedner. Stephen has been involved in the paranormal for many years and has used his gifts since he was a child. He gained titles of Master Designated Spiritual Medium and Master Designated Spiritual Healer with the Aquarian Foundation. He went on to achieve a doctorate in Metaphysical Science from ULC, later becoming an ordained minister from ULC. He has since accepted the orders of Father Stephen Michael and was given emphasized preliminaries in the occult and demonology. He has been lead ex- exorcist investigator for the Sacred Order of St. Michael and the Archangel Order of Exorcists. Under the direction of Archbishop Ron Fayle, currently Stephen is working with Archbishop James Cloud under the jurisdiction of Advent International Catholic Church. Steve, Stephen is pursuing proof of the paranormal on the other side of the veil using investigated investigative standards with his group, the American Association of Paranormal Investigators, which was founded in the year 2000. So welcome to the show, Stephen. Welcome, Stephen. Well, thank you so much, and uh, it's nice to talk to you from colorful Colorado. (laughs) (laughs) Colorful Colorado. So what is the weather like there right now? Actually, I'm up at my studio in Evergreen, and oh. we had a blizzard last night. Oh. And it is still a little snowy and cold and uh, not very pleasant at the moment, but, you know, typical Colorado, in two days it'll all be gone and be back up to 60 degrees. So. Yeah, it does that, doesn't it? It's really quite nice. <laughs> I lived up there for, what, seven years? Exactly. Yeah. So um, you play the cello, right? I do. I'm a professional musician, and I also teach, and uh, that's my life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how often do you get to perform? I get to perform, actually, a lot. Oh, Um, good. My previous uh, job, actually, I was uh, adjunct professor for a local university here and in charge of the string program. And I did that until I got so tired I couldn't stand it anymore, and I retired. And a few of my students wouldn't let me go, so (laughs) I ended up coming up to Evergreen, where they lived, and would teach them lessons once a week, and I guess 
it turned into they told other people and those other people told other people and now I have a full-time job Monday through Friday teaching up here. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. So you just do... I totally love what I do. Oh, so. you're so lucky. That's wonderful. Um, so this other stuff, the, the investigative stuff, you do that pretty much in the weekends and in the evenings? Yeah, primarily. Um, my team, um, we all work and we all have families. So a lot of our stuff is done on the weekends. The uh, demonology cases that I take, um, sometimes I meet with them in the evenings after I'm done, um, or on the weekends as well. So it's a full-time job three times around. Wow. So, yeah, the investigation is your other full-time job. Really, there, it requires <laughs> yeah. so many hours. Yeah. We know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. How did you get involved with the exorcism stuff? Well, you know, they say um, those that end up doing it had the calling. Mm. And I certainly did. And when I first started working with the Aquarian Foundation, which <laughs> seems like the dark ages now, <laughs> um, one of the things that I knew is that I did not appreciate evil and I did not like what it did to people and how it affected circumstances. So I was kind of in denial and I kind of went the long way around to finally accepting that I should probably look into it and see what I can do, um, which is when I was with the Aquarian Foundation, um, it was brought up several times that I needed to look to the darker side and see what we can do to prevent things from happening. Um, of course, the whole spiritual aspect of adding light and love into situations and using prayer, basically, mm -hmm. um, and meditation to affect things that are currently going on. And I was a total, I still am a total believer in that, and I still practice that to this day. Um, the rest of it just kept going further. I ended up being a spiritual leader for them for a very short time. And that's when I kind of got the bug saying, you know what, if I really am to do this, then I should probably take it serious and do it the right way. And when I had my near-death experience, I kind of said I would take on the challenge, but I needed some rules laid. <laughs> Yeah. Because, of course, being the type of person that I am, I basically told the other side, I said, I will stay here and I will recover from what I'm going through. And I will take on this decision to work um, against the darker side. But there are some rules that you have to follow. <laughs> and one of them was uh, to get help from the other side in getting and gaining personal and public information and proof that there is existence on the other side and using scientific methods which I'm very very strong felt for mm -hmm. the um, um, using the techniques without a shadow of a doubt for proof and evidence that there is existence and communication can be had on the other side that uh, I can prove that to anybody else. 
as well as let them know that they have complete control over what goes on in their lives. And those were my rules. And I have to say that they did not let me down. Wow. And to this day, I am still following through with uh, what I promised to. How? So I did go through the full, complete training and orders um, through old Catholicism, which is not actually associated with the Vatican at all. Oh. The old Catholicism does not believe primarily that you need a building to worship in, uh-huh. that you cannot get divorced, <laughs> that you cannot, um, you know, have uh, other things that happen in your life and be considered part of the of Roman Catholicism. The old Catholicism says it doesn't matter if you've had an abortion, it doesn't matter if you've been divorced, it doesn't matter how much you've sinned, you're still a child of God, you're still very precious, and you are more than welcome to be a part of the family. Wow. So it should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it should be, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> so there are little subcategories of Catholicism that are called Old Catholicism, and they are actually more strict and more demanding of your personal self than Roman Catholicism. But at the same time, they're also practicing the true religion, which is what we believe, which is true forgiveness, and true love. understanding, and true acceptance, no matter who you are. Yeah. Okay, when you had your near-death experience, how long ago was that, and what was the nature of it? There were two, actually. The, really? uh, the one that affected me this way was 15 years ago, and I came down with a a virus called Guillain-Barre syndrome. Oh, yeah. Very similar to MS. And it actually knocked me down completely into a coma for seven days. Oh, my gosh. And they, they didn't think that I was going to live. And that's when I came down. My experience was this time, the second time, I came down to the very smallest pinpoint of light was all there was there left. That's, that's all that was left. And I knew that I had to make a choice. I could either put that light out and not continue, or I can rebuild from ground zero and do things a little differently. And uh, I chose to come back because being a spiritualist as well, I don't want to have to come back and do all this stuff all over again. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So... Okay. So I decided that uh, I would, uh, let's just, (laughs) so I decided to finish it out, and while I'm here, I promised I had this commitment, and I knew I had the calling to work with this, so I made that one of my priorities, and I've actually been taken care of ever since. So everything that I've ever needed, as far as the spiritual level is Mm -hmm. concerned, has always happened right when it needs to happen. I've never really had to worry about it. Um, wow. I have a couple friends that call me the true uh, worshiper of, um, oh, what's his name? Um, is it Ron Dyer, who was the person that wrote all the books and said that if you oh. want anything from the universe, all you have to do is send yourself, release it, and let go, and it will come to you. 
Okay. Oh, it's Wayne Dyer. Wayne Wayne Dyer. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. um, Well, it's sort of a principle, I guess. Um, So when you were under and making this decision, were you having this conversation with uh, Archangel St. Michael? I was having that conversation with um, St. Michael. And also at the same time, I had a very strong presence of St. Benedict as well. Oh, Oh, that's a fascinating story. Thank you for sharing that. That is really interesting. Because I was wondering how the heck yeah. that, that happened. Because it's really, you're, you're putting your life on the line doing that. But you, you're armed now with, with guides and, and warriors, so it's a different story. Because some people I don't think always yeah. are. Okay, so how about your involvement with Richard? How did that come about, Richard Estep? And for those who don't know, he's an author, and we've had Richard on the show. So, Richard and I go back quite a number of years. Actually, we um, we got together through the paranormal and investigating. And one of the things that I pride myself on, and my group, is we play well with others. <laughs> um, we like we like to share our stuff with everyone else, and we like to experience things with other people. Um, in this paranormal field, of course, you're going to find probably the most dysfunctional people and the largest load of drama that you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. isn't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> when it came to Richard and his group, we found them to be just as honest and sincere about what they were doing and actually quite pleasant and fun to be around. And we promised each other that we would work together and invite each other on investigations. And it turned out that we just kind of really clicked. And we do investigations together. Um, This was before he started writing. And when he did start to write, it was very, very exciting for for all of us. Yeah. And I'm pleased to say that I get to be very privileged and go on these adventures with him and experience the stuff that he writes about. Yeah, he's got some great excursions you guys go on. Willie and I are sitting here and we're both really envious. I know. You just just got back from England again with him, didn't you? Yeah, darn you. (laughs) Yeah, I just actually, I just got home six days ago. Um, He was home a couple days before me, but yeah, we we did it again. We topped our experiences again this year. Every year it seems to be, um, we seem to be raising the bar, and I'm pretty sure with what we experienced this time, especially in one location, which was Bodmin Jail, we're going to be going back, definitely going back, and seeing if we can get some more results. You had already been there, the Bodmin Jail. We're available. (laughs) (laughs) Bite your tongue, Willie. Well, you're more than welcome, I'm sure. (laughs) Okay, well, let's start with um, how about you and what you feel is one of the most interesting investigations. I know that the old Montana prison kind of stopped you in your tracks for a while. Would you like to talk about that? Well, yeah, that was... Oh, probably 11 years ago. Um, We went there as a fluke. We got invited by another author friend of mine who was Karen Stevens. She lives in Montana. She writes a lot about uh, Haunted Montana, which is where I grew up. Oh. Um, And, of course, I knew her as well before she became an author. 
And one of the things that she wrote about was the old Montana prison in Deer Lodge. And she got a chance to go there and invited us. And we drove the uh, 17 hours mm. from Denver up to Deer Lodge just to uh, spend two days in our super haunted prison um, that was very active and very fruitful in evidence uh, and also gave me a little bit of a setback as far as thinking that, you know, this is... uh, Everything is all sunshine and roses, and you <laughs> go there and get your experiences, and you listen to your data, and you get what proof you get. Um, that was really the first time that I had an experience that really touched me, and it was in the shower room, as just as you come up out of the hole uh, for the prison where they put the very unruly prisoners. Oh. And I decided to try something different that day. Uh, instead of verbally talking questions out loud to empty air, <laughs> which is what we do, um, I decided they seem to know because they answer, sometimes they answer us before we get the question out. Oh, wow. And it's got it's to be telepathically. They've got to be hearing it telepathically before yeah. we actually verbally say it. So there was a session that I did in the shower while the rest of the group was off into another room. And by myself, I just mentally asked a few questions. And one of them, of course, which always is interesting to me, is if you are dead and you're still at a location, why would you want to be at a location that was so hard on you and so negative Mm. um, that, you know, um, if anything, the first thing you'd want to do is leave, get away from there? why would you be be there you know is it being stuck um of course with our experiences we know that that's not always the case um you know is it the fact that you feel like you're held here from some other source or whatever so my question asked was um why are you here why would you want to put yourself through this and the response that i got back in a very typical old uh, Montanan dialect was a gentleman saying, I don't want to take the pain across. I'm helpless and confused. Mm. Mm. And that was enough being coming, that's when I was really, you know, involved in the spirituality and working with uh, um, counseling people, you know, and the, the basic job that you do mm-hmm. with uh, being a reverend um, that kind of like set me back a little bit like how can you be on the other side and not know that you don't take that pain across that you don't have to take anything really with you all you have to do is do the forgiveness routine and move forward don't are you, are you there? about, you know, am I doing the right thing? Am I really supposed to be bringing this up for them? Because if it's really negative for them, um, they don't want to relive it all the time, even though they're stuck in a location where they are reliving everything every single day, the torture that they went through. Um, It just didn't seem fair to me. And I actually 
stopped investigating for several months because I didn't want to, I didn't know what kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? I didn't know what kind of um, effect that I was having on spirits in locations because we, you know, 11 years ago, we didn't know what we know now. Mm -hmm. And 11 years from now, we're going to know, you know, hundreds of times more than what we do now. So in the future. So, um, so you didn't know if you were tormenting them. I'm sorry, go ahead. You didn't know if you were tormenting them. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. So is that when you sort of decided to look into, um, exorcism at that point that is that followed shortly after yes and when I um, got my when I finally decided that I was going to go ahead and not fight it anymore that's when uh, like I said it's, it's the Wayne Dyer effect you release it to the universe and things come to you when it's time mm-hmm. and I said okay if I am to help people and do things then I need to know where to go, who can I trust, um, where do I need to go. And actually, I found, um, (laughs) after that point, that a couple of my friends were old Roman Catholics. One of them was an archbishop and was trained as a chief exorcist by the Roman Catholic Church and left the Roman Catholic Church because of their changing belief system. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and created his own church, which was the Western Rites Old Catholic Church, and did the traditional beliefs that, you know, we feel is the original teachings, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, which is, you know, of course, the no monetary gain, everything is service, um, to and from God, and everything is for the better of everything. And uh, so he started his own church. I had no idea. And we got to talking one night, and there we had it. It started right there. His uh, really good colleague who went through the same program was um, Michael Stephen, who left the Roman Catholic Church, who was also an exorcist. And started his own traditional Roman Old Catholic Church, and together, both archbishops, poor me, right, (laughs) Um, were training me to be a chief exorcist, which is what they were trained to do, and both of them were on me literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I had to go through the whole secular training. I was ordained as a priest and given and charged the rights of exorcists through their jurisdictions. Oh my. Then wouldn't have a preliminary step have been learning how to do the clearing, Stephen, rather than the exorcism? Because I, at, at that point you didn't know if there was really any evil entity there at the Montana prison? Um, well, there are a lot of, actually, at that prison... A there lot. were a lot of negative energies. I can believe that. There around. I, I knew that there were demonic presence there because uh-huh. we had a certain person, our tour guide, actually, who was attacked while we were there. Uh-huh. She was. Uh, we were in the tower, 
where there was a confrontation between two prisoners and the federal government was called in and they basically had to bomb the tower to get the two prisoners out and killed both of them. Oh, um, That energy is still in that tower and we were in that tower with her. She was actually pinned to the wall and being choked by something around her neck. There were four of us trying to pull her away from that wall and we could not do it. Oh. And finally, in Instinctually, for me, you started I praying? started saying the Lord's Prayer uh-huh. and the Hail Marys, yep. and all of a sudden she was released, and yep. all five of us <laughs> flew across the room when she was released. Oh my well, gosh. It's pretty powerful stuff. I would say <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Whoa. So, but back to my original question, in, in a more innocuous yeah. situation, um, wouldn't have um, learning how to clear have been maybe the the path to take before getting to the exorcist part? I already did that. When I was, uh, when I w- before I actually joined the uh, Aquarian Foundation, I was already working as a medium. Oh. And I had already learned how to do all the spiritual cleansing and all the spiritual healing. Um, after I left the Aquarian Foundation, um, that's when I started learning different methods of cleansing and healings, of course, uh, including Reiki. And then when I started my true path, which I have to admit was the true path all along, I just kind of took the side road. To yeah. There. <laughs> um, I decided to, uh, to learn how basically the Catholics do it. I was not raised Catholic. I was raised in a multi-religion, whatever suited us at the time, uh, Jewish household. And we kind of experienced everything. I went to every church you can imagine, Mm -hmm. uh, including different synagogues, and learned different ways of things and learned how to read different scriptures, um, the whole gambit. So for me to come this far actually was already predetermined. And I can see it now. I just couldn't see it before. Yeah. Okay. Well, Stephen, we're just about at the the bottom of the hour. So we're going to take a little short break here. And you're listening to Spirit Radio, uh, Stephen Wiedner, and we will be right back. Supernatural Magazine, one of the UK's top paranormal magazines, provides support to Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience. It is the magazine's goal to bring every aspect of supernatural news and research from around the world under one roof to create a universal platform for all those interested in the supernatural. More information is available at supernaturalmagazine.com. 
And you are listening to Spirit Radio, the Paranormal Experience on the Paranormal UK Radio Network. Radio the Paranormal Experience, and tonight we are talking to Stephen Wiedner. Welcome back, Stephen. Welcome back, Stephen. Thanks. So we were talking about an investigation at the old Montana prison, and Stephen and uh, and his investigative team were trying to pull this woman off a wall, and they succeeded, but he was fighting a demonic force. So uh, that was just before you did the exorcism rites, correct? Just I mean, before you started. I started studying, yeah. Yeah, but I could see my, perhaps there's a need for this sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, my gosh. All right, from there, what about, could we talk about the Velisca Axe Murder House? That is really fascinating. And I still think that the children, you can, I'd like you to give the history, but I, you know, it's almost as if the children do not know that they're dead. I don't know if I could put myself in that car- that category. Um, I do know that they do talk to each other, and they yeah. do uh, talk to other things. There are some recordings that we have, some EVPs that we have from our, I think it's either our second or third trip there, Um where I have a child, a boy, a young boy, speaking to somebody, but you can only hear his side of the conversation. Um, that recording is what we, our basic procedure when we do investigations like that is we will go into, we usually get the whole place to ourselves. That's what we really like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, recording equipment, the video equipment, all the, all the toys, basically, that we use are set up, and then we lock and leave the location for about two hours, and we generally do it around dinner time. So we go out to dinner, leave the place vacant, Mm. so we can go back and listen to what noises the location makes. Mm. Mm -hmm. So we know what not to confuse is something that may be going on during an investigation, Mm. or something that, um, you know, it could be like a furnace clicking on every, like, 35, 40 minutes, or, you know, it could be bats flying through, you know, it just we get all that information as much as we can, anyway, from that like two-hour period where we just let the building talk to us. Um, it was during that period at Felisca that we um, captured the voice of a young boy holding a conversation, plain as day, and just uh, hmm. not hearing the other side of the conversation. Wow. Um, yeah, the uh, other th- and that was during the day too. It was still daylight out. The um, other things that we have captured there are uh, there is a a woman there mm-hmm. who uh, I don't know if it's the mother or not, but she is very angry and she's very protective. And if it is the mother that is still there or connected some way, in some way at that house, and I have my belief system about that too, which is kind of odd and people find it a little hard to digest. But if she's still there, um, 
in some way, some capacity, she's very protective and she has every reason to be because if you personally went through something like that, yeah. I think you would definitely do the same thing. Well, would you like to give us an idea, just a very brief history of what happened there? Um, we like to go into locations with uh, minimal knowledge of the location at the beginning, and then when we're there, we will do research mm-hmm. um, and to see what we get, and then we will compare what we get to what other people have gotten. So we don't like to look at other people's evidence before we go into a location, mm-hmm. just the history that we know about the location, and then once we're there, we look at other things to see what we can do to get either similar or the same type of responses that other people get. Um, but the what I personally believe, and this is from what we've experienced, uh, there are children there. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a adult female there. There is also two males that we have captured voices from oh, that are two. there. Okay. Uh, one of them is an older gentleman, and he seems to be very Victorian in nature. He's very provincial. He's um, very staunchy. If you do anything, if you're making any jokes and you laugh at something, uh, we have this um, thing where we, we like to be very relaxed. We like to be very casual. If you're with a group of people and they're being very serious and they're being super focused and they're not very talkative or interacting very well with each other, you're not going to want to stick around. We found that if we laugh and we joke and we talk and we just kind of like invite everything in to communicate with us, we get phenomenal experience. Mm. Um, And we get incredible recordings. Um, So we were doing just that. And there's a couple instances, there are EVPs that we have where this older gentleman with a raspy voice was telling us off because we're being (laughs) silly. (laughs) Um, Briefly... Well, I was Go just going to say the um, the history of the house is there was an axe murder there, and it was a um, set of parents, and then what eight children or six six children, right? Six children, four family members, and two neighbor girls. So yeah. the total of eight people. So that's the I just wanted to give the background of the history of what we're dealing with with the Valeska murder house. Um, I right. did. I heard the male voice, and I heard the adult female, and then, of course, some of the children, and I think a couple of the adolescent females. The little children, it wow. almost almost felt like the little children were just um, oblivious to, to, to their condition. I don't think they realized the state that they're in, whereas I think the adults have an easier way of putting it together. It was just my feeling yeah, that they're stuck there, but they don't understand their condition. Right, right. There are a couple of the older children um, that we did get uh, responses, direct, intelligent responses back. Wow. So they're very much aware that they can interact with people that can't see them, I guess is how I would put it. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, responses that we got were definitely intelligent. They were answering our questions. But the other voices, like I said earlier, that we heard the conversation, um, there is just, uh, I'm, I'm sure that those are residual, is what we would call them. 
um, because they didn't interact with us and it was random. It only happened uh, once that we've uh, been able to experience so far in our few times that we've been there. Mm. Um, but the ones that do, uh, the other gentleman that I mentioned was a younger gentleman and I don't know, because you know there are things on the other side that can be tricksters. Sure. Um, I asked the question, I said, who was the man that killed these, these people? And I actually got a voice that said a name, and I've done research on the name, and I've also found that that person is also a person of interest in four other towns that Ooh. are connected to that rail, uh, that rail line, the train line that goes through oh, Valenska. Yes, yeah. Uh, and there were three other incidences prior to Velisca where somebody broke into the house in the evening and murdered the entire family with an axe. Yeah, I read that a while ago, but that I do remember that. Sort of like an yeah. itinerant traveler on the train. Yeah. Is yeah. what they were thinking. A hope a hobo serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't laugh. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, how about uh, the black Munt monk of Pontefract? What happened there? The, um, <laughs> the, uh, Richard is really good at telling that story. Um, the only thing that I can really... Whatever you can give I us. Can really basically <laughs> com comment on was uh, the different things that... Uh, it, it, emotions. When, when I was there, I noticed that my... Um, personality changed oh. very negative and I became very short tempered um, for no reason at all it just that that particular location just affected me emotionally and mentally and I don't like that when that happens actually because I need to keep my guard up um, do you think you were the, picking uh, up on the emotions of the monk that was the subject of the investigation? I don't know. That's a strong possibility. He might have identified um, with you. Yeah, yeah, it probably could have. Uh, the uh, the thing, the reason I'm skeptical about that is because you know, like I said, it's the scientific mind going to work here. I need a little bit more proof and evidence. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, I would like to give it a second shot. So I know Richard's going to be listening to this. So Richard, we need to set this up. <laughs> um, the, yeah, the, uh, the, yeah, that's really the only thing that I can tell you that that my experience there was um, very negative in personality and emotions. And I did. I, it's, my, it's not my nature to be short-tempered and and angry at people for no reason at all. So you what? wouldn't mind going back, right? No, I'd like to know more. Okay. I'm not afraid to go back. I'm not afraid to uh, uh, get some more experiences because the more the more I experience and the more information and data that I gather, the more I understand things. Was that so, one of the ones that you just did on this recent trip? Uh, say that again. I lost you for a second. Was that one of the ones you just did on this uh, recent trip? No, we did uh, the Jamaica Inn and Bodman Jail this time. Oh, okay. Which we're completely up. 
just outstanding. I, every, like I said, every time we go, the bar gets raised, and it's going to be, I don't know how the bar is going to get raised. Can you give us this. one example from the Bodman Jail? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Bodman Jail is absolutely from, first of all, uh, Kristen and Mark, who are the, uh, the tour guides there for their paranormal tours and other things that go on there, um, are absolutely phenomenal. And I seriously recommend anybody that's going to be in that location make the special trip to go visit the jail and go on one of their investigations. Mm. If you are a group and are over there, um, bite the bullet and do an overnight uh, investigation, you will be floored. We had so many things uh, right out of, right off the bat. You know, we walk into locations. We have our recorders going right away. Uh, before we even enter the doors, we have um, equipment there that uh, you know that we use, of course, you know, to gather the data so we can go back and, and find proof and evidence again. Um, but when we got in there, did the introductions, did a little walk around, and sat down. I stopped my recorder, and we're listening back. Richard was actually listening back to his, and we got EVPs immediately walking through the door. Wow, you were greeted, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, we had uh, other things happen. I used, I took the Geoport with me this time uh, that George Brown makes, and uh, we, <laughs> it's if, when you go to locations, it's, it's what I really like to hear is the different dialects and different inflections yes, in yeah. uh, speech. And when we were there, using the geoport in this location, we were getting Cornish, uh, Old English, and very strong British accent. Oh, that's so cool. Mm. For, for our listening yeah. audience, this is Cornwall, England. Bodmin Jail in Cornwall, England. Yeah. Uh, Stephen's gotten yeah. around. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the, whole, the whole experience was just, it just it, I'm still digesting mm. everything that happened there. Um, at one particular point, we're getting ready to leave, and there's just, uh, there's five of us. Um, Kristen and Mark... And uh, or is it Kirsten and Mark? And then there was like Richard and our friend Leslie and myself. And we're walking down the hallway getting ready to leave to go outside for um, um, a look around the outside of the building. And behind me, I'm always the last one to go because I'm always still looking at stuff mm-hmm. and hoping things. So behind me, there was this loud slam. These doors are so thick in this jail. Uh, that it takes a lot of force to open and close these. This door was slammed with such a force that you could feel the vibration of the walls moving, mm. and you could hear it echo throughout the entire prison museum. You are so lucky it didn't hit you <laughs> on the way out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, really, on the way out. That yeah. would have been great, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we all jumped, and we all turned around and looked, just as this dark, shadow figure walked across the hall and into the other room across from where the door was. Mm. And of course, the investigators and us, we drop everything, we grab our flashlights and recorders and whatever, and we run after it and go into the room, and there's nothing there for us to see. Mm. 
funny. That that never yeah. is when you go chasing them, is it? Yeah. You know? Did you <laughs> did you feel that this place needed um, exercising, an exorcism? Um, it probably actually no. You know, it doesn't feel that way to me. Okay. It felt like it was pretty much self-protecting. The building, if, if I can try to explain, the building itself is actually alive. Ooh. It talks to you, and it gives you that feeling that even though it was used for various purposes throughout the hundreds of years, right, um, it has a welcoming feeling because it also did house people that were homeless. It also was used as a hospital. It was used as various other things to help people. And I think that energy is kind of what's keeping it alive. And I'm very happy that that museum, the prison museum, is uh, being well taken care of. And the staff there are being well taken care of. There are plans for that building. And the investors are very dedicated. And that makes me very happy because we oh. don't see that really so much in this country at No, all. we don't. It always seems there's a lack of funds. Can you hear? Yeah, and yeah. various things to get people in there so they can raise some income, at least keep the lights on. How old is that building approximately? Four or five hundred years old? Oh. Uh, I'm going to have to call Richard on the lifeline for this. Cause he <laughs> on the no, no, that's all um, right. I was just curious. Um, I... Well, I would say it's two to three hundred years old at least. At least, yeah. And made out of stone, I would imagine, right? Hewn stone? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, I bet it's magnificent. Um, How about... Oh, I bet it is. There's something I'd love to see. So that's in Cornwall, England. Um, How about the cage in Essex, England? There were quite a few uh, evidences of... um, well, visual phenomena. Did you see anything? We did not while we were there. It actually was kind of quiet for us. But um, the people that we did talk to, the few that I talked to and the many that Richard talked to, um, all had experiences. Yeah. And saw things from the exterior and the in- interior of the building. Um the, that's another location that I can tell you that something negative is there. Yeah. The uh, um, again, it happened to me at that location where I got very uh, short-tempered and kind of irritated with everyone, and I had to really watch myself. And I'm really kind of blessed in that specific time that we did not stay at that location. Um, Usually what I like to do is I do the full immersion. I usually stay where we investigate. And that time we did not. And it's a good thing because I don't know what I would have ended up like yeah. at the end of that tour of duty. Mm. Um, again, the, the things that we did experience there were things that I had never experienced before. Um, like we what? Were, doing all sorts of different types of experiments. We were doing um, old paranormal techniques um, from the 1800s, and we were getting results there as well. One of them was, um, 
Oh, see, now I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's it's uh, where you take a piece of paper and hold it over a candle after mm-hmm. putting your energy in the piece of paper, and the energy is supposed to burn with the flame of the candle, and then it leaves a picture on the other side where the candle flame was. It burns away that energy, and it's supposed to leave some sort of uh, uh, information or picture. And we had really good success with that there. Um, we did, uh, again, which is not my normal mode of things to do, we tried various Ouija boards at that location, and nothing really substantially happened um, in my books, uh, probably because I don't put much faith into that. Um, the uh, I've done some experience with Ouija boards, too, and uh, I know what can really happen if something is really going to manipulate something. Um, and of course, being on the demonic side, I've seen a lot too. Mm. Um, but in that location, that didn't work very well. Um, we did have one instance where we were sitting at the dining room table, which is where we had all of our computers set up so we could analyze the stuff in real time uh, while we were investigating. And Richard had gone off to talk to Vanessa, who is the current owner of the cage. And they were sitting in a pub doing their investigation and Leslie and I were in the house alone and Leslie spotted the computer screens moving around and Richard had his um, Word documents open where he was keeping his notes and typing his notes for the investigation and something was scrolling through those notes because the pages would scroll down to the very beginning That's and then weird. slowly raise themselves up like it was reading what he had written Yeah, and then it would shoot to the bottom and then shoot back up again and my computer had the audio analyzing stuff on there and it would basically do the same thing it would close that program bring open another Word document where I had Oh my, my gosh! <laughs> And it would scroll through there, close that down, open up the audio thing, and then it would play a section of audio. Uh, of course, we had the headphones plugged in, so we couldn't physically hear it. But um, And then it would like take it all the way back to the beginning, close that down, and open up another program. And we thought Richard had remote access to his computer, and maybe it was really? both of us, because neither, neither one of us have Wi-Fi over there. We just have our laptops not connected to anything. And we sent a message to him to see if he had, you know, if he was, like, pulling up stuff on his computer from his phone. Yeah. And uh, he did not have any type of software like that at all. So whatever was there was manipulating and kind of looking at what we were doing. That was a fast Uh, learner, huh? uh, Somebody wanted to know what you were saying about him. Wow. A really (laughs) fast study. And on the other side, (laughs) that is incredible, isn't it? Whoa. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there another place that uh, sticks out in your mind that you wanted to discuss? We did have a couple of BVPs, but we wanted to play it in relation to what mm. you, you were talking about. Oh, we can do that, too. I could go on for hours. Um, <laughs> well, unfortunately, we only got about five or six more minutes. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Have you got one you want to pull up, Willie, in particular that was... Well, I don't know which... Uh where did you want to go? Well, there was yeah. one from the Denver Fire Museum, okay. and you were, I think it was you, Stephen, that was saying you were doing a mock, um, well, um, and a mock emergency, and you said, she's having a heart attack, hurry, please, and the EVP uh, says, yeah, stupid. Yeah, we were in the, the <laughs> captain's quarters for the uh, fire department, and... Uh, 
we, like I said, we like to joke around and have fun. And Jill and Eric and I were in this location, and we were telling jokes and being pretty, pretty silly. And Jill was laughing so hard, she threw herself into an asthma attack. Oh, no. And I basically said, I said, help, help, is there anybody here? <laughs> you know, my friend is choking to death. And uh, we got a response. So, have you got it, Willie? Uh, stupid, right? Yeah. That one? Yep. Okay, we're yep. going to try and play let's, that. Let's give it a shot. Okay. Please. Can you hear it? That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know the funny thing is, is we have a joke now because I'm either I'm I'm called the stupid one because I ask silly questions. You can only ask, you know, how many are here? What is your name? What year did you die? Right. All that kind of stuff. Right. So I usually am the one that breaks the monotony and asks if they have ever seen midget wrestling, <laughs> or if uh, they like canvas boat shoes, or you know, different things like that, just to kind of break it up a little bit. And it, seriously, I cannot tell you how many times I've been called stupid. <laughs> it's funny. Okay. There was also one EVP and when you were in the Denver Firefighters Museum, and it sounded like going down or going deaf. Mm. And I was wondering if there was a fire pole there. Oh, yeah, there is. And it's still, they, it's not, they won't let you go down the, uh, the fire pole. Um, but it is there, and they've actually glassed off the floor from the second floor to the first floor, so you can't anyway. Oh, interesting. But, um, yeah, okay. there, is a, there is definitely everything is there. Well, I'm thinking maybe the EVP then says going down. It might, yeah. You want to give this one a shot? It's, oh, you've got it? Yeah, okay, i got it good. right here. Going is clear, but you can't really tell what's after that. So. Yeah. Oops. It would He's it would help if I turn the uh, computer on. So, oh yeah. If you'll just hold on a minute there on that one. Uh, <laughs> that at two thirty? And also, if we have time, maybe the Denver Presbytery. I had a comment or two about that. Oh yeah, that was incredible. Was it okay? Okay, let's ready? try going down. Let's see. No, but I've heard it enough to it's You know, it does sound to me like going down. Going down? Okay. What about you, Stephen? Going down or going? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then that makes sense. Going down, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, the Denver Presbytery, that was a reform school for both boys and girls, right? At one point, yes, it was. Okay. we, we only got about, it's a very about two minutes. Okay. Amazing place, actually. Uh, there was a room there with the columns, and I think it was an upstairs room that sort of looked like oh, like a storage room. When I saw that, I got the distinct feeling that there was corporal punishment that had been carried out in that room. And then the next shot that you've could. got could have been, huh? The next shot yeah, was very a, much so. a blackboard that said, I will not bludgeon another student. And I thought, how ironic that chances are that they not only got, you know, they had to write out sentences, but they probably got spoken to and they probably got slapped or whatever. 
I, and I, oh, yeah, I'm sure. I saw that sure. room without knowing that it was a reform school. I thought it was just a school for boys, yeah. and I, I didn't read the whole thing. So that that place gave me the creeps. And yeah. the, well, it is very, very active. We it is active. A lot of experiences there, and uh, we are um, we are a big fan of Bill Chapel, and we have a lot of uh, Bill Chapels. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. And one thing that the spirits really liked to use in that location were the laser mics. Oh. And we would get them to respond with either breaking the beam for yes and no questions and actually getting audible voices coming out of there that we could hear in real time. Wow. Very interesting. Um, you know what, uh, Stephen? We're out of time. Oh, darn. <laughs> oh. We, 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 would, uh, we would love to have you come back, though, and... Uh, Talk about some of the other places. Are you game? Oh, absolutely. Anytime Wonderful. you guys want. Great, great. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Such an interesting evening. Uh, yes, uh, thank you well, very thanks. much, Stephen, for joining us. Uh, you want to go ahead and give out your website? and? Sure. There are a couple. Uh, if you want to go to ghostpi.com, that's G-H-O-S-T-P-I.com, mm-hmm. that's our website for the paranormal group. Uh, for demonology inquiries, I do have denverdemonology.com. And uh, if you are experiencing anything that is negative or you feel like you may be attacked, send me a message through there. Even if you don't live in the Denver area, I have other connections basically all over the world. Okay. Oh, wonderful. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much, Stephen. And uh, remember, well, thank you for having me. This is awesome. Uh, our pleasure. And, and remember, we're, we're available <laughs> at, uh, some of those uh, yeah, Eng- okay. England places there. <laughs> and um, hang on the I'll line. I'll tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> okay, hang on the line after the show, okay, Stephen? Okay, right. so uh, you've been listening to Spirit Radio, the Paranormal Experience, and I guess that is it for another week. And thank you, everyone, for listening. You have a good evening. You have been listening to Spirit Radio, The Paranormal Experience, with your hosts, Willie Hassel and Lynn Nickerson, on the Paranormal UK Radio Network. This one of many possible worlds, all for the best.